Ushers, we appreciate your ministry this evening. How many of you guys are ready for the Word of God? Amen. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 9. Acts, chapter 5, verse 9. As a young disciple, my pastor taught me um, to pray for, to always keep in prayer different things in the church, um, regardless of where I was at in life, one of them. It's a salvation of souls that we will be fruitful, so fruitfulness. The other one is finances that will be blessed, that the people of God may be blessed, their money may be multiplied. And the other one um, is marriages. And he taught me that I need to pray for couples, and this was when I was single, um, pray for those marriages and I did not completely understand that when I was single, but now that I've been married um, 11 years, I think, I understand that, and I hope that people are praying for my marriage. And I know married, married, married couples here this evening, you can agree with that, that there are moments in life where you're like, man, I do need to pray for this, I need... I need God to help us. The reality is, is that in church, in the, in, congr in the congregation, the people of God, marriages are a sign of strength in the church. How marriages are doing, this is why um, I want to begin in the month of February around Valentine's Day, start doing something locally as a church, um, at least for one night to be able to get ministry, be able to grow as couples because the strength of our church will come from our, the strength of our marriages. So tonight I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled Becoming a Power Couple, and it's going to make sense to you. Acts chapter 5, verse 9. The biography of Abraham Lincoln reads about a very well-known man named Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses Grant became the 18th president of the United States, but it wasn't the easiest of journeys. President Grant had many issues in his life. He was kicked out of the military for being an alcoholic. But his wife, Julia Grant, believed in her husband. That right there is just a sermon right there. His wife believed in her husband. She was from a wealthy family and had no reason to get married to Ulysses, let alone remain in marriage. She is popular and many men were trying to court her. Her father didn't want her to marry Ulysses, for he was just an average man from a poor family with a drinking problem. But she believed and loved Ulysses. Because she believed in him, he came back to the military and became a crucial general in battle during the Civil War and eventually became president of the, of the U.S., United States. Ulysses credits the fuel to accomplish great things to the belief his wife had in him. I think it's an incredible thing. Here it is, this man known or picture of strength and gets involved in war, becomes crucial in the Civil War, and you have a man who says, I credit the belief my wife had in me. Wife, husband, you can be the biggest reason why much is accomplished through the marriage. Or... You can be the biggest detractor. If married couples can thrive together, they can be a tremendous asset in the church. Acts chapter 5, verse 9, we're going to actually read a contrasting story to that truth. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to read one verse. Many of you guys know the story, but I want you to stick with me here tonight. Verse 9 says, But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together? He's addressing Ananias and Sapphira and marriage. How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled, Becoming a Power Couple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight, God, for your blessings, God, for bringing us together as your church. God, I thank you for all the couples that are here tonight. God, all the couples that we have out on the field, God, doing your will. Father, I pray that you will strengthen, God, your families in this place. 
God, that you'll begin to move on their behalf. God, begin to convict them on things that need to change. God, I pray that you will build a hedge of protection around their minds, God. God, as we continue to push for growth, God, and we continue to push for all that you have for us, God. God, I pray a protection upon your couples in this place, God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said tonight, amen. I want to start off with my first thought, and that is marriage in church. Marriage is a sacred institution created by God. And our fight is to keep it that way. I was 18 years old when I came to the house of God. Um, I was a young man. I've never seen marriage work. Um, I saw, I went through a divorce, as a, uh, my parents' divorce, um, as a young boy, saw the failure in marriage, saw uncles go through divorces, friends, their parents um, divorced, and I've never seen a marriage work until I came into the house of God. I've never seen somebody actually thrive together as a couple in the will of God until I got saved. It's a sacred institution. It's something created by God, and there is a strategy from hell to not only destroy the institution of marriage, but specifically marriages in the church. Not only did I I first, for the first time, see marriages work, I also saw for the first time how hell attacks marriages. I began to see the different targets, the the struggles as I began to grow closer to men who were in the church that were married in ministry seeking to do something for God and the pressure and the pulling and the tugging that hell creates or even the just the stress of ministry. And I began to realize marriage is important. When two Christians come together, they are to create a powerhouse or a more trendy word, a power couple for God. This doesn't mean only to get sent out. That wasn't, that, that isn't just a goal, but to be a witness in your community and an asset to your church. I was talking to a man um, in conference and we were speaking about destiny and he mentioned the idea of getting sent out. And I was like, man, we need some people who want to stay in the house of God. Some people who want to stay and become examples and pillars and that, that, that as, as people come, they get to see the strength in their life and the strength in their marriage. See, hell knows this. Hell knows that marriages thrive when they get God involved. Hell knows this and will do whatever it can to destroy this union. See, Satan knows that you and your spouse, or even future spouse, have the ability to be a power couple, and he will do anything to stop that from happening. He will bring division, he will bring confusion, disappointment, conflict into your marriage with this one purpose, that he wants to distract you from fulfilling your joint mission on this earth. He will put you at odds with each other and against your church, And this is to cause you to be far from any godly counsel and example. One of the powerful benefits of being in the house of God is that, or in the house of God as a married couple, is that not only do you have other marriages that can speak into your life, you have a pastor, you have, you have leadership that can, that can speak into your life. My pastor has been a tremendous blessing in my marriage. There's been times where it's not, it's not only me asking questions, every time my wife has called my pastor. And he's been able to speak, has been able to guide. And that's the benefit of being in the house of God. The fight is to keep our holy matrimony holy. The word holy simply means to be sep- separated for a specific use, in this case, the use of God. Holy means to be separated unto God, and Satan will try to sneak into your marriage. In marriage, carnality will always be an option. 
The way you speak can always become carnal. The way you treat your spouse can always become carnal. It will be easier to be carnal, or it is always easier to be carnal than to be holy in a marriage. I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody rolls around and says, it's easy to be holy today. You know, that's just get out of bed and say, you know what, today's a good day to be holy. Holy, to be a holy person is difficult. To be a person sanctified and right in your mind and just, especially in marriage, when your spouse becomes so familiar, when things begin to just uh, get on your nerves and things become annoying, and somewhere it's easier to be carnal than to be holy in marriage. Being holy doesn't just doesn't mean just going to church. Maybe you guys understand that. Holy doesn't mean just going to church because there's some people who go to church who aren't holy. It has to do with the way you carry yourself, the actions, the decisions you make. It's watching what you say. It's considering what you do around people, considering how you speak, how you act, how you treat your spouse. In our text, we read of a couple who, for the sake of relevancy, were in church. Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a piece of property and publicly give the proceeds to the community. However, they secretly hold back a portion of the money for themselves. It's, they wanted the credit. They wanted the, the, um, the publicity. They wanted people to say, man, you're so generous. When in reality, they kept part of it themselves. And Peter detects the deception and confronts the two separately. Pastor Peter begins to see how these two people came together. They came together in agreement to go against the will of God. It is important to note that they weren't under any obligation to give from the proceeds. Acts 5, 4 says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. He's like, he's saying, you didn't have to lie. It's your property. You could have given what you wanted to give. You could have sold it or not sold it. You could have gave or not gave. The issue was not how much they gave or that they didn't tithe, but that they came together and lied. A husband and a wife came together and they did not obey. They lied. They contrived together. I know that probably doesn't happen here in Houston, in this church, but in those times, the problem was a married couple came together and said, you know what? We're going to go against the will of God. It was an intentional deceit against what they thought was the church, but ultimately it was God. Scott Barchi said this, he said, by lying, in order to achieve an honor they had not earned, and in Isis of Fire not only dishonored and shamed themselves as patrons, but also revealed themselves to be outsiders, non-kin. They are not so much missers as imposters. He said, you, he, said, he said, husband and wife, he said, you, you guys came together and lied. And what this commentator says, what I think is so is wonderful, the revelation, is that in, that in that action they revealed you weren't part of the congregation from the get-go. So your spirit was different. The fact that you are willing to come together and lie to God and lie to us says a lot about who you are. They were attempting to receive what they will call a patron's honor, but not the patron's sacrifice. They were trying to receive the praise of somebody who sacrifices, but not sacrificing. The best way to illustrate this could probably be the idea of stolen valor. And that's a person who dresses up as a, as he's, as a soldier and 
the U.S. Army, that'd be the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, they dress up, but they're actually not in there. They're not enlisted, so it's a huge crime. They call it stolen valor. It's exactly what these two, are, these two have done, and this is why Peter confronts them. See, but the focus today is how two people in marriage can come, can come together and choose to not do what was right. If they are willing to lie, there's an issue in the foundation of their marriage. So I want you to think about that for a moment. I preached a sermon a few weeks ago on the benefit of honest, honesty. And the point that I made was honesty is a choice you make for all of your life. You can't just be honest in one area. You can't just be honest for a season. Some people, they're honest their whole year, the whole year but income tax season, they're not honest. Right there, they, they kind of compromise. They're like, you know what, it's just two kids, three kids, same thing. It's fine. They steal from us anyway. You've heard that before. Honesty is a choice. I'll, I'll confess something. The other day, we went, to, um, we went to Chili's. And we went to, you know, we ate, we fellowship. I think it was last Sunday before I left the conference. And took off. I'm talking to my wife on the way home. And I look at her, I'm like, I didn't pay. <laughs> so I'm in the car, I'm like, I didn't pay for my food. So we're looking at each other, we're like, oh my gosh, like that's, so I called them, and I, was like, I guess I'll call them. I called them, and I paid for my food over the phone, and I, I got a funny video I can show you after, where he took my card information, he's like, man, he sounded like a, like a total bro, like a surfer dude. He was like, nah, bro, he's like, I got you, man, you, you can trust me with your credit card number. I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> He's like, just, I'm going to do it. He's like, and I'll tear it up into a million pieces. And he recorded himself tearing it up into a million pieces. And he sent me a video. Anyway, I paid for it. But he said, man, thank you for calling because you didn't have to. <laughs> That's an incredible statement. He said, thank, thank you. I had to. I had to. Would you agree that you had to? So it's easy in situations like that. But here it is, these two people, husband and wife, came together. And somewhere, somewhere, somehow, they were able to justify it and agree that there's a lie. This time, it's okay. And if they were willing to do that, and there was a failure somewhere in their foundation, you know, the main purpose of a foundation in a home is to stop any type of sinking. You create this big concrete slab, and the idea is to minimize the movement because the floor moves. It shifts. There's erosion. There's things that move. Dirt moves. When you create that, it minimizes. A foundation is to prove, provide stability to keep the home at or above a healthy level. This is why the best way to enter marriage is when each party, husband and wife, both have a solid foundation of Jesus Christ. This is why God designed it to go into it as a virgin, as somebody who hasn't opened this door sexually to other, other spirits, has no soul ties, knows exactly who they are in Jesus Christ. They're not seeking a better half. That's not what they're looking for because they got it all. They're complete in Jesus Christ. So two people complete come together. And that's what causes marriages to thrive. There's an issue when a husband and a wife can come together and be unfaithful to the things of God. And I know this is an extreme case. You're looking at it and it's like, man, I will, never, I will never lie to God about a property that I sold. Number one, most of us don't have properties to sell. It's just the reality of life, okay? <laughs> Not that, that much money, okay? But it happens all the time. I've been pastor now close to 11 years. In August, it'll be 11 years. And it's one of those things that I've seen throughout the years. is how a husband and a wife can come together and compromise. No, we're just, we won't go to church today. 
You know, it's fine. You can, you can just not serve God. It's fine. Over the years, I've seen that marriages that don't have an impact in the kingdom of God is because they've come together in agreement to just look the part but not live the part. You might not be plotting together the next disobedience. You might not be sitting down and you have a blueprint and you have all these ideas. This is how we're going to be able to justify it. Maybe you are, but that's not, maybe that's not you. But the standards you once had are not held anymore by neither party. One of the benefits that I have in my marriage is my wife and I, we hold ourselves accountable. We hold each other accountable. In the area of prayer, in the area of reading our Bible, there are moments when we argue, we argue. There are moments where our voices get a little higher, jump a few octaves, hands begin to clap, because we're from Houston, you know how it is, you clap and octaves begin to get higher, and then we, we back up a little bit, it's like, man, you haven't, you haven't been praying, huh? <laughs> When's the last time you read your Bible? I've seen people who were once fruitful. They were fruitful when they were single. Then they get married, and all fruitfulness is stunted. And a lot of the times, the reason why is because they have someone they can come together and agree about their carnality, agree about their laziness. And Paul speaks to this. This is why Paul says it. If you remember in the New Testament, this is in my notes. I'm trying to recall it. He says it's better for you to not get married. <laughs> he says because the married person has to worry about worldly things. He says, and when you do get married, says you have the, then, then what happens is you have to take care of these things. It becomes a responsibility. I'll move on to my second thought. And that is cultivating power. And influence in marriage. Power and influence is something to be cultivated in marriage. You're not, that doesn't just come automatically with your marriage license. It isn't bestowed upon you in the laying of hands. It's not randomly handed to us. It's one thing to want to do something for God. There's a lot of people who want to do something for God. There's a lot of people who want the marriages they see in the house of God. They look at they look at their pastor. They look at maybe a leader like Pastor Rosario. They look at Pastor Campbell. Pastor Campbell um, just uh, renews in, in May. Um, it's his anniversary. And I think here recently they, they renewed their vows uh, in the beach of San Diego. And he sends pictures to me. And I'm like, man, I want that one day. We're at the airport. And I was with, um, um, I wasn't at the airport. I forget where I was. But, oh, we're at church. We're walking in Prescott. And I was with the Jacksons, Pastor Jerry and Alyssa. And we're walking, we're walking into the door because it's extremely cold. So we're in there and, we're, you know, we're running in there. And as we try to get into the door, an, old, an elderly couple walks in. And they, they got their, they're holding hands and they're in there. They're just, you know, and now, and now all of our speed has dwindled because now we're behind them. <laughs> so we're just waiting on them. And, and I look at Jerry's like, that's the goal one day, man. It's relationship goals. That one day you could be 60, 70 plus. And still holding on to your girl. Still holding on to your man. On the way to the house of God. On the way to go find your seat. Because by that time you should have assigned seats, right? When you're that old. <laughs> but you go and you're, and you're holding on. I was like, that's goals right there. That's goals. There's a history there that we don't know that if we begin to speak, we know. And who knows everything that was accomplished. But there they are. In the house of God. It's one thing to want to do something for God. It's another to actually do it. Power and influence in your church only comes to the two ways. That is sanctification and a kindred spirit. Don't you hear me out what I said? Power and influence in your church. To have power and influence with the people of God, it comes through sanctification in a kindred spirit. There's people, they have the hardest time in ministry because it's hard for them to gain influence with the people around them. Can I just say this real quick? Ministry has to do with serving those in your church. That's going to be most of your ministry. 
I understand the lost souls as they come. You're going to try to work with them. You're going, to, you're going to try to lead them to Christ, begin to follow up and disciple. But most of your ministry has to do with people in your church. So you're going to have to gain an ability to have an influence with them, to have a good testimony. Sanctification in the kindred spirit. Sanctification brings forth an acceptance and, bank, and, and backing of the Holy Ghost on your life. Anointing doesn't come free. Anointing, the anointing that you see in the leaders that you love, the preachers that you, that you listen to, that you love, it doesn't come free. There's a price. They pay for it. Sanctification is setting yourself apart for God. It's what we call holiness. A kindred spirit means you are of the community. In our one mind and one accord and who we are and what we believe. When Ananias and Sapphira lied, they broke those two things. They broke sanctification and they broke a kindred spirit. They lied about money. They lied about being holy. So they lost I would say power and influence, but actually they lost their lives. Power and influence are protected by accountability in the marriage. So Peter confronts Sapphira about agreeing with her husband. I'm going to say this statement here today, and I want everybody to listen to me. Marriage is not an excuse to be unfaithful to God. Marriage is not an excuse to be unfaithful to God. I wonder if what would have been done, or I wonder what would have been done of this couple or through this couple, if either one of them would have just stood up and said, that's not right. We shouldn't be doing that. Who knows? I wonder if there was a need, maybe some taxes that were owed or some bill, they were going to disconnect the power at some point. I understand that doesn't make sense in those times, but at some point they were going to come and, and do something. I wonder if there was a pressing need that is the reason why. I don't think they just woke up one day and said, you know what, today we're going to lie to God. Pressures of life. Situations that are going on, who knows? All I know is that one of those Christians should have stood up. Either Ananias or Sapphira should have stood up and said, look, babe, I understand. I understand it's hard. But it's not the right thing to do. The problem wasn't that they were married, but that they couldn't help each other remain pure and devoted to their God and their church. Part of the responsibility in marriage is to help your spouse when life gets hard. Because either one is going to want to quit at some point. We both had, my wife and I, we both had moments like that. And we've helped each other out. There's a quote I ran into. It says, it is not marriage that fails. It is people that fell. All that marriage does is show people up. There's a stark difference between being single in the kingdom of God and being married. Paul makes this point. I referenced it earlier in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 through 34. I want you to be free from anxieties. That's a good way to start, talking about marriage, right? I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man, all the, all the men, you can say amen. <laughs> the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are now divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, but of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. There's a big difference. So it is hard work. Anxieties are divided. See, lying to God, especially together as a couple, can cause you to miss out on what God has planned. Our text teaches us that lying to God, even in the area of finances, is considered testing the Lord. I mean, to think, 
It's one thing to lie to somebody, to another man, to another woman, because you know you could probably get away with it. But to lie to God and know that you're not going to get away with it and you still do it? The Bible says God will not be mocked. Testing the Lord in our text is not referring to the same testing that we find in Malachi in the area of tithing that says, test me in this, and I will open the windows of heaven. Testing the Lord here comes from a phrase, which is manipulation. Manipulating and attempting to force the hand of God. It also teaches us that we do, well, that what we do to the people of God is doing it to God himself. Jesus teaches this truth. Acts 5.4 says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Our Bible paints a vivid picture of how God feels about being lied to. About being tested. About a couple coming together and saying, we're going to do what hurts you, God. We're going to do what you, know, what you have said it's wrong. It's a vivid picture, but it's not the first time someone has tested God. Numbers chapter 14, verse 22 says, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times. They have not obeyed my voice. Here it is in the days following the exodus of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Israel tested God ten times. After the spies came back from spying out the land of Canaan, the Israelites rebelled against God. It is human nature to lie. You could do your own study on the ten times, but the point is that ten times they came together and they tested, they lied to God. They came into agreement, and that, beloved, is what hurts God. It's the fact that two of his creations, two of his redeemed creations, two saved people came together and said, we're going to lie. In the book of Numbers, it cost a whole generation of God's people to miss out on the promised land. In our text, it cost this couple to lose their life. I want to close on my third point, and that is faithful marriages impact the church. What the church needs is marriages to rise up, is to come together in agreement to do something for God. Every family here plays a vital role in our church. This is your church. Turn to your neighbor, tell him this is your church. We all play a vital role, married or unmarried. But married couples, listen, you play such a crucial role. There's young people. My wife was 16, I was 18 when we came into the house of God, and I mentioned it earlier in the sermon. It was marriages that weren't, that helped us. I remember coming into the house of God and saying marriage doesn't work. I've never seen it work. But then when you come into church and you see it work, it challenges those mindsets. That's what you do when you remain faithful to God. Is that people can come off the streets, they're 18, they're young, or maybe even divorced people. They come and they have... They have a um, history of failure in relationships. They can come and finally see, look, it works when God is in the middle. It's a testimony. It's a vital role. Maybe not something that's going to be sung around the, the world or even the fellowship, but it is the strength. I'm sure if you ask any pastor that's out, that's out and make an impact in the kingdom of God, they can tell you. It was marriages, the strength of the marriages in the church that helped us thrive. We are all in the eyes of God. And God will use us the way he believes will better benefit the kingdom of God. Some are examples, while others will be used as the example to teach a lesson. I preached a sermon a while back, and I spoke about the bad example how God uses at times people to exemplify what disobedience looked like. We never want to be on that end. But that is the sovereignty of God. Acts 5.11, we see in our text, 
and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. You think anybody else lied? <laughs> I mean, think about it. What if God was to do that in our congregation? I'm not going to use somebody's name here, but let's just imagine we have a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Just imagine that, right? <laughs> you did several haunted houses with them. You fellowship with them. You watch some football games, some boxing matches. You live life with them. You've been to outreaches. You did the whole thing, right? And then on a Sunday morning, Ananias shows up, fills out his tithing envelope. And right there when he signs it, he's completing the lie that they spoke about last night. He's putting it in there, gives it in the offering basket. And then Pastor Peter discerns in his spirit, bro, you lied. And then dies on the spot in front of people. <laughs> Bible says that the ushers, shout out to the ushers that do the dirty, the hard work, came and picked up the dead body and dragged it out. And so everybody's shocked. Then the wife comes because she's running late. <laughs> she, she, she's, she's running late, right? So she shows up and she does, and she shows up and she thinks, she thinks, man, my, my, my honey bun <laughs> already did the job. So I'm going to walk in here with my chest out talking about I gave this amount of money. So I'm walking around with my chin. Yep, that's me. I tied 10,000, you know, whatever it was. You know, and he goes in there, and Pastor Peter said, how, did, how can you come together with your husband and lie? And this is public rebuke. It's a public rebuke. And Jesus speaks about this in the New Testament. He says there's people, you got to publicly rebuke them to bring fear. So rebuke, sir. Bible says she dies also. He says the same, before she dies, the same ushers, <laughs> same ushers that got your husband are going to be right there at the door. It's no, it goes with no wonder why great fear came upon the whole church. But can I also just kind of give you some background to that? That was the sovereignty of God. God knew what he was doing with Ananias and Sapphira. God knew that, that they had contrived in their hearts and that treating them this way, people will learn from it. He says, fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Beloved, listen to me. Brother, sister, married couple in this place. The next generation are growing up watching us as married couples. And they will make decisions based on our decisions. Where your marriage is at today is linked to your decisions. You can't blame anybody else. You can't say the mother-in-law. You can't say pastor. You made the decisions. Everybody, when they're born, listen, they, they, they have, obviously, they, they look like their parents. But when they're old, the question is, will they look like their decisions? In marriage, we must learn to keep the main thing, the main thing. Although our roles are different in the marriage, we share a common responsibility. The worst thing a spouse can do is to just throw, throw the buck on the other person the way Adam did, right? It's the woman that you gave me. We are to help each other remain faithful to God. It's not okay that one person is slacking off. I'm not saying be this Christian Nazi in your home. But I'm saying, you should, one, you should be praying for them. Here's a question. When was the last time you prayed for your spouse? I ran into this quote. I, I mentioned it earlier in lunch to, um, to the people we're having lunch with. I said, there are, everybody has a fight. Everybody is fighting a fight that you know nothing about. That is true with your spouse. There are things, there are things that are going through their mind, their heart. When's the last time you prayed for them? When's the last time it was your purpose in the conversation? How can I help you? How can I please you? 
we must help each other remain faithful to God. We must do our job individually to remain faithful to God, to help our spouses if they're dragging behind. Men, listen, you must be the spiritual leader in your home. You must be. Those roles cannot flip. This looks different. It looks practically. Listen, in, in a practical sense, I want you to hear me out, and I'm sorry if I offend you, but men, you should be the smarter one. <laughs> you should be the one that seeks the wisdom of God, that opens their Bible every single day of your life, that reads, that pursues knowledge. That's what leaders do. That's what you appreciate about your leaders, that they've given themselves up to study. Listen, that's what your wife is going to appreciate, that you've given yourself up to be a leader, to be the spiritual leader that God has called you to be by setting an example in your home of unwavering righteousness. Your family is watching you. You want them to serve God, well, then you serve God. You're telling your kids, listen, you're going to go to school. And at school, you're going to have to choose worldly relationships. You're going to have to say no to them and choose godly relationships. Well, then you do that also. Choose it. We've, we used to say it all the time, right? Righteousness over what? Say, say, let's say it louder. Righteousness over. We're saying we choose to be just. We choose to be righteous. Your family's watching you. Wives, listen, you are to be a spiritual help and an encouragement that your family and husband needs. Don't make it harder on your men to serve God. Martin Luther said, let the wife make her husband glad to come home and let, her make, and let him make her sorry to see him leave. This is this place, this sanctuary, this safe place. That's what your house should be. So at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Can I get one amen? Our marriage should promote the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And a good way to gauge at your marriage is to ask your children. When they're older. What do they think about your marriage? What kind of example have you given them at home? Let's close tonight. I know I've taken a little bit of time, but let's close. And unfortunately, our text, um, it doesn't have a good ending. The couple that we used died. So we have to look outside of our text for one of the, for different examples. And one of the best examples of a power couple is a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. Paul names them both and calls them my co-workers in Christ Jesus. And beloved, this is exactly what it is in the kingdom of God. We are co-workers. There are couples here. You are a tremendous blessing to us. That's what co-workers are. Romans 16, 3 and 4, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Who risked their necks. You know what he's saying? They, they, they risked their lives. In Acts 18, 18, we find the power couple traveling and working with Pastor Paul as missionaries. Acts 18, 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with them, Priscilla and Aquila. At King, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that. He had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. So here it is, these in the midst of ministry. This couple's there with him. In 1 Corinthians 16, 19, they've settled down and planted a church together in their home. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings. And the Lord is the growth of this couple. In Acts 18.26, they took on the project of mentoring the great evangelist Apollos together. Acts 18.26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the ways of God more accurately. What a powerful picture. Here it is, this couple, faithful to their pastor, 
faithful to the things of God. And you have a new generation, Apollos coming in, raising up. He's preaching. He's able to pull them to the side and help them. Bible says, explain to him the way of God more accurately. Here's a truth that every couple needs to understand. And that is that their lives are way more fulfilling and fruitful when you work together. Using your talents and gifts and their joint calling as followers of Christ. Don't find yourself as Ananias and Sapphira. Find yourself like Priscilla and Aquila that came together and said, we're going to be faithful. We're going to be faithful to the kingdom of God. We're going to be faithful to the pastor that God gave us. We're going to be faithful to the vision. They, they, they started, think about it, they started churches. And then we're going to be faithful to discipleship in the church. They were able to act as a team because they saw themselves as a team. Listen, if you're married in this place, I want to remind you, you are a team. You are a team, and teammates hold each other accountable. One of the pictures in sports that I love is whenever a guy gets heated and he begins to go at it, they bump chest, they want to fight, you know, maybe a bad foul, whatever the case is. And then there's always that other teammate that comes and says, bro, it's not, it's not worth it, man. It's not worth it. And every once in a while, if you've played sports before, maybe you've been told this or maybe you've been the one to say it. But I've been told before, I said, listen, bro, it is more important for you to stay in the game than to get expelled because you got beef with that guy. So it's this idea. They hold each other accountable. Husband, wife, help each other serve God. Make it easier for one another. Help other couples. Because the strength of our church will be in the strength of our marriages. Again, this is why in the month of February I want to start doing these things. You know, that's just a little small thing. But the reality is that we have responsibilities. We can't create a program and a ministry for all of our responsibilities. Can you imagine if we created a ministry? We're starting every, every, every Monday. Bring your kids. I'll spank them for you. <laughs> that, dad, that's your responsibility. Mom, that's yours. I can't create a ministry for that. Same thing with marriage. We can promote it. We can teach. But at the end of the day, it's your responsibility. And you can become a power couple. Single people pray for the marriages in the church. Same thing in the book of Jeremiah. He tells the Jews, he tells them, listen, pray for the welfare of Babylon because there you will find your welfare. Listen, when you pray for marriages, there's a favor from God that comes upon you. I prayed for the marriages in my church and then my wife came along. Amen. <laughs> so I want to encourage you, listen, let's believe God for our couples. Let's believe God for our marriages. Can I get every head bowed and every eye closed? Quickly, tonight I thank you. Tonight I went a little longer, but I believe it was needed. Hell likes to attack the minds of married couples. He understands the, potent, the potential, the, the power, the impact that it could have. And tonight all I want to do is rebuke the devil out of this place. Maybe you're here quickly. You're not saved. You're not right with God. You're not saved, you're not right with God, but you want to give your life to Jesus. Would you raise your hand in this place? Maybe you're backslidden a person who used to be right with God, but today you're far from him. Quickly tonight, not saved, backslidden, would you raise your hand? Amen. Very well. I want to change the order of the service. I want to speak to the church. Specifically, I want to speak to those who are married and those who desire marriage. I want you to understand this. And that is that there is power. There is power where two or three gather together in Jesus' name. The Bible says that he is in the midst. And there's something powerful when two people can come together. A man and a woman. And they can commit to one another and say, you know what? We are going to serve God. We are going to serve God.
going to go out to serve God. Pray for one another. Help each other out. If you see marriages struggling, reach out. How can I help you? What's going on? What's the problem? I'm not saying you're going to solve it, but listen, there's something powerful. Whenever a person can help somebody else. The Bible says we're called to build each other, equip each other, encourage one another, is what Paul says. And I want to encourage you here tonight that before you can think about any ministry, think about the ministry in your home. And I know many times we all fall into this fault. We're pushing it to the side, but listen. What you have at home is important, and that is the first thing. You got to keep your home in order. Come back to the simple idea of just pleasing one another. Of just seeking ways to just make each other smile and make each other, you know, just, just easier in life to, to just think about the things of God. We already know the anxieties and the stresses and the and, and the things that we go through in life, at work and at home with children and, and to come together and just say, you know what, I just, I just, just want to be with you. I want to just make your life easier. I want to make your life a place where it will be pleasing for you to serve God. Let's all stand up to our feet. Every single one of us, I want to open these altars. I want to encourage you to come and seek the mind of God, begin to speak to Jesus. Some of us, some of us, if we'll be honest, we need to come and repent. God, forgive me for I've been neglecting my marriage. Forgive me for I've been neglecting my spouse. I've been just pushing it to the side. I've considered other things more important. Today, I want to come and just recommit myself to you, God recommit myself to that holy union that you brought together that I said years ago that no man can separate you brought us together and you're going to give us the strength and the wisdom to push through let's sing out this song here tonight